You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast, and today I am so excited to welcome Lexi Kite, one of the co-founders of Beauty Redefined to the show. I had polled my audience on Instagram a little while back, kind of figuring out what your favorite IG accounts are, who you'd like to have on the show. This was one of the most requested interviews of that poll. So I can't wait for you guys to hear what Lexi and I got into today. With taglines like more than a body or that our body is not an ornament, it's an instrument, Lexi is here today to talk about body image. We dive into how we can learn to love and accept our body, what makes up our body image and how it forms over time, And how we can change the way that we view ourselves if we're unhappy with our body or have negative body image. And I will let you in on a little secret up front. This is the first interview that I've ever come to tears in. Um, You're going to have to stick around to find out more about what, what happens there. But I just, what an emotional topic for us to be diving into today. And I can't wait for you to hear the powerful stories that Lexi and I shared and examples that we share on our own journey of embracing our own bodies. This is a must-listen-to episode, so get ready. This episode is brought to you by Huckleberry. Huckleberry is a parenting app with the world's first real-time predictive algorithm for nap times that lets you know when your child will be tired but not overtired. It's sanity-saving, tantrum-reducing, and adapts as your child grows. Head to the App Store and download Huckleberry today, available on iOS and Android. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Lexi, thank you so much for joining us here on the Happy as a Mother podcast. You are one half of the duel behind Beauty Redefined, and I appreciate you taking the time to come and be with us today. I am happy to talk to you today. Thank you so much. I was joking with my assistant sort of setting up this whole process that you are like a fan favorite. I love your page. I've been following you guys for a really long time. But as soon as I put out feelers for guests on the podcast that people wanted, just slews and slews of people recommending you guys. And they really love what you have to say. So I really, I can't wait to dive into all things sort of media and beauty and body image. Thank you. I love doing podcast interviews. Lindsay and I both love talking about this stuff and we're pretty passionate about it. (laughs) You'll be able to. Well, (laughs) I mean, like 10 years of research, like really Uh, down the rabbit hole, passionate about it. And I love that because it's going to bring such an interesting and rich context to our conversation today. So your PhD is in communications, media, research, and body image. Can we start with how you got into that field? Like, I'd love to hear a little bit about your personal journey. Absolutely. Um, So I have an identical twin, Lindsay. And for a long time, we tried desperately to be different. We didn't want to be such twins. And it didn't work that way. Our identical DNA led us down the exact same life paths, pretty much. Wow. So yeah, when we were in college, we wanted to do different majors. We wanted to love different things, even though we have very similar skill sets and interests. So we, um, we went to Utah State University um, in Logan, Utah, and Lindsay decided she wanted to be a, like a newspaper magazine journalist, a print journalist. I decided I wanted to be a broadcast journalist. That was as different as we could possibly get, both in journalism. And so I um, ended up starting in broadcasting and quickly realized that was the wrong path for me. I, it was just too 
tech intensive. So I switched to print journalism. We were in the same major and we had to take this required course for journalists called Media Smarts. It was all about media literacy, which is the ability to read and comprehend and understand why media is created the way it is. Why are people represented the way they are? Um, in our class, we specifically look at gender and violence and race and how media representation impacts our own feelings about ourselves. And I had a very personal experience where the very first day of that class, I was just a little 18-year-old sitting in Media Smarts. And the first day, our teacher, our professor started explaining how women and our minds have been totally bought by massive multi-billion dollar industries that prey upon our insecurities, that diagnose yeah. our flaws Mm -hmm. and then give us the products and services to fix those flaws. And I sat there thinking, oh my gosh, so much of my life has been stolen. So much of my time inside my own head has been stolen by body shame and anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I got goosebumps thinking about the fact that I was going to gain this new knowledge and maybe I could do something with it to make a difference. And I had no idea how, um, but I felt it was, it felt almost spiritual. I felt truth in that class. I went home to my shared dorm room with Lindsay. <laughs> we were taking separate sections of the same class so we wouldn't have to be in class together. She'd taken it that day too. I said, oh my gosh, I took the most amazing class. This is it. And she said, shut up. I had the exact same experience. <laughs> wow. And it was, it was the beginning of 10 straight years of college. We didn't take a break. We powered through with master's degrees and doctorates in the study of media and its impact on body image, specifically on girls and women. And it has been an incredible mission to have that all came because of my own body shame. My eyes would not be open to this mission if I hadn't experienced acutely how painful it is to feel so defined by your body, regardless of how you look, regardless of how many ideals you do or do not fit. Mm -hmm. My life has been forever changed. I have this purpose and this calling that has really changed me and served me and hopefully has given me an opportunity to serve the world. Yeah, like all the goosies, even as you're saying that, right? Yeah. Because I don't know when I um, really had this realization. I became a mom of three in a matter of three or four years, mm -hmm. very back to back, very condensed. I, I'm sure I had a slew of body image issues before motherhood. Yeah. And then I became a mom and I like gained and lost and gained and kind of semi lost something to the tune of like 150 pounds over three pregnancies. Yeah. Um, not that a weight in a number is something that I discuss often on the podcast because mm -hmm. I know that can be triggering, but a lot of weight and my body changed in more ways than I could have imagined that it would have. Mm -hmm. And then I found myself um, unpacking this maternal mental health piece and really wanting to show up and serve moms in a way that I thought I would have needed and would have been helpful for me with all of this sort of mental health background and information that I have and how moms are underserved. Yeah. That they're contemplating, but like, can I start like an Instagram page? Like, I don't look like all of the other influencers that are like size zero, like mm -hmm. showing off their gorgeous house. And I had this moment of like, you like how, like reflecting on my own experience often, like how people miss out on their dreams or things that they feel called to because they don't feel their body. Mm -hmm. or whatever is equipped or the right sort of way to do it. Yep. That is truly like the basis of everything we teach. My mind was blown when I learned about this concept called self-objectification. So self-objectification happens when you grow up in a world that objectifies your body from every angle. You drive down the freeway and the billboards tell you how to get lipo on your lunch break and, you know, fix your boobs, fix your life and blah, 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 blah. All the movies you watch, the camera tilts up and down women's bodies. In children's movies, there's basically only one way to be female. And that's this hourglass shape, even on little girls, animated girls in movies. When you, when you see objectification from every angle, including our cultural ideals, the way we talk to each other and about other women, the way your mom talks about her body, the way we talk about celebrities' bodies, you grow up in this world where you're 
identity and your consciousness is split in two. You are living and you're picturing yourself living. Mm. You live your days monitoring your body, even, you know, on Zoom, which we're all doing now as we're in a pandemic. We are thinking, but our consciousness is split because we're also thinking about how we look while we're doing it. And research shows, and my own backs it up, that when you live in this state of self-objectification, when you live in this place of always wondering how you look and policing yourself against your own worst fears about what other people might be thinking when they look at you, your life is, is hurt drastically. Your progress, your health, your happiness, your relationships. And I can't even fathom how many girls and women sit on the sidelines of their life or don't go after little things. We don't go to the grocery store if we don't feel good enough or we have a zit that's, you know, we're self-conscious about. A lot of women don't run for elected office or volunteer for organizations they want to or go up for that promotion because they think I'm too fat. I'm too gross. I don't have the right clothing. We police ourselves against these fears. And Mm -hmm. self-objectification, even in research, is shown to truly limit our capacity, our mental capacity, um, our physical capacity to run faster, to lift weights, to work out and get in a flow state. Because if you're self-conscious of how you look, everything else is sacrificed in that respect. It's so interesting to me how you're talking about like this moment in time right now can be policed against like things in the future. Like for example, I'm like, okay, I want to start an Instagram right now in this moment, which takes creating a post that's intentional and kind and loving and compassionate Mm -hmm. to moms. But then I'm like policing myself having to show up in this space in a different way and like thinking about, I don't know what it could become. Like I, like the, the playing small piece for women Mm -hmm. is like, we have to keep our bodies small, keep our voice small, like all of this playing small and the challenge or the fear of challenging that. Right. Totally. And it's also, it is scary, you know, for me and for Lindsay, Um, showing up in the world with a platform to talk about bodies, to talk about how women's bodies are objectified, how body shame shows up shows up in our lives and how women are more than bodies, our main mantra. That, that is really scary to do in a female body, you know? Yeah. It's not just to show up on Instagram where we don't show our bodies because it kind of goes against our messaging. We don't want to center our own bodies in this message. We both like have that kind of privileged body positive influencer body that's like thicker than average, but hourglass shaped. And there's mm. privilege in that, you know, like, right. And I don't, I don't need to show up with that privilege. We don't want to center our own bodies in that way, because we want people to know that they are more than bodies. They're more than beautiful. We're trying to get past that initial expansion of what counts as beautiful because we're so much more, you know, but it is scary to show up in that space of course, to have people comment on your body for anybody, not even somebody who's, you know, a body image activist, but the way the world silences women and gets them to shut up and to take up less space is to say one of two things that we hear all the time. Number one, you are fat and ugly and you are jealous of beautiful women. Why don't you just fix yourself and then you won't have to be so angry? Or number Mm. two, you're too pretty to know what body shame feels like. You're too young to know what body shame feels like. Get back to me, you know, when you're this much heavier and this much older. And both of those objectifying us, both of those silencing us because of our bodies. Yes. Yes. And I've, I've seen, yeah, I've seen the, the body wars that go on and, and the accounts that I follow and, Yeah, it's hard to know how to show up in in that space, I'm sure. Because you have like, there are these body image accounts that are like the most like gorgeous women. And you're like, what, but what, like, you know, you are living in a privileged body, right? Mm -hmm. And then there are, I feel like there are others, but probably like less than others, or they aren't as like prominent Mm -hmm. with how they show up with their bodies. They're like, maybe I don't follow them because maybe I gravitate toward, I don't know. But yeah, well, engagement on Instagram and across social media platforms definitely privileges the most beautiful, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm not saying it's bad in any way to see more body diversity. That's good. That in every respect is good. And social media has opened up this new world where we can see more. We can see people that look like us. Mm -hmm. I would... I think that we will see real progress and it will be a mark of progress when women can show up without talking about or apologizing for their bodies or their beauty. When we see women just being in their bodies without having to highlight that this is me and I'm beautiful, I'm different, you're beautiful, you know, 
then we actually right. get someone. When it just is like beyond the conversation of our appearance. Yeah. And this is one of the things that I had to check myself in, um, in, in this journey that I'm on is to say like, do I value? And I think about all the people who have contributed to my life or who I value for their talent or their whatever it is that they offer to the world. None of that has to do with our body. None of it. So in my mind, like, you know, moving beyond this step, it's like, are you here for the value that I offer? Are you here to look at an ornament? Because at the end of the day, if you want an ornament, go somewhere else, you know, like that's totally, totally, that's totally it. And so as this, like, as I think about moms and I think about disordered body image and disordered eating and all of the bombarding messages, moms are on a, a whole roller coaster, like as if motherhood isn't already a vulnerable transition in itself. It's okay to gain weight. It's okay to have a tummy. It's okay to do all of these things according to society until baby is born. And then every messaging is about like snapping back and stuff like that. So can we talk a little bit about like what makes up body image and how can we sort of move towards being more resilient? I love how you guys talk about like resilience in our body image. Yeah. Yeah. So your body image, a lot of people get this concept wrong. A lot of people, when they're talking about body image or thinking about it, they're thinking that it is how their body appears, that it's the image of your body. And that's not right. Your body image is your relationship with your body. It's how you conceive of your body. Mm -hmm. So your body image is how you feel about yourself, but it goes beyond your appearance. Positive body image, as we say, isn't just believing your body looks good. It's knowing your body is good regardless of how it looks. That's an incredibly important concept. A lot of people um, try to fix body image and alleviate body shame by effectively slapping a Band-Aid on it, by telling women in any number of ways, you are so beautiful just the way you are. If you had any idea how beautiful you were or how beautiful your flaws are, you'd show up and change the world. But you just, you need to know how beautiful you are. And you know, I don't hear us saying that to men who struggle with confidence and body image issues. I never hear us saying, you are so cute. You are so handsome. You're so beautiful just the way you are. Why don't you go out there and change the world? They'd laugh at that. Mm-hmm. It's so much deeper than how you appear. If we're right. just trying to help women recenter beauty as the foremost priority of their lives, we're not actually helping women get anywhere. We're helping them fix it on reinforcing the that idea. Hair. So for us, um, and our research really backs this up, we are trying to get past a place of self-objectification. A lot of body positive messages still reinforce beauty and bodies as central to a person's power, their worth, and their appearance, their their value in this world. So we are trying to dig somewhere deeper. And that is by helping people attain body image resilience. Body image resilience is incredible. It's a focus of all of our research. It is the ability to shine a light on all the pain you experience in your body in this world as a new mom whose body has inevitably changed. Um, As a woman who faces body shame and disruptions to her body image every day from comparing yourself to somebody else in real life or online or a comment somebody makes about your body or uh, watching a really objectifying show, one of your favorite shows where the B-roll is all about bodies and the camera is just panning around at bodies and the dialogue is talking about bodies. There's a million ways to, to kind of face a disruption to your body image every day. And body image resilience is the ability to call out those disruptions as they happen and choose a new path, a new way forward. Our research shows that the majority of women, when you face a disruption to your body image, big or small, they cope in really painful and harmful ways, whether it is through disordered eating or really restrictive dieting and binging, which always go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. Um, They cope through products and procedures just to kind of like fix the surface, you know, Mm -hmm. which doesn't Mm -hmm. actually fix the mental problem or the shame in any way, shape or form. It just moves it. It just shifts it for a minute to another part of your body. They hide. That's what self-objectification asks us to do, to sit on the sidelines until we qualify to be seen again. So, so many moms just stay in, you know, like Kim Kardashian says she hibernates for the first year after having a baby. She literally doesn't leave the house. And that's, that's not that abnormal. Lots of women after they have a baby just feel so much shame about their changed body that they don't want to be seen. Oh, can you imagine how the world is so impacted for the worse when women don't show up? So body image resilience is the ability to rise in the face of that pain, to take the crap you experience in your body that you do not deserve and use it, use it to be better, 
to be stronger, to stand on instead of drag it behind you, to have a louder voice, to have a more vulnerable voice that people need to hear so they can say, yeah, me too. I'm not alone in this. So they can feel less shame about their own pain in their own body. Like, I think about it like this. From the time that we are able to take in data about bodies, which Mm -hmm. is from the time we're like two or three, we've got this bank where we are constantly filing information. And when we're young, we don't have the ability to filter out the messaging. So you, we've got, I'm 30, going to be 33. We've got 33 years worth of crap stuffed into this bank of things that we have ingested and taken in and learned about bodies. And what you're explaining to me when it comes to body resilience is the very conscious weighing of the data that's coming in as a system to say, am I going to internalize that and file it away? Or am I going to discard it? Because does it serve me or does it harm me? Right. And we are living out these messages because we've never fact checked them. We've never pulled them out of the bank to say, where does this expectation for my body come from? Yep. And why am I allowing it to like dictate my decisions and, and my, my behavior? Totally. And you know, we can't blame ourselves for the lack of fact checking because every source in your mm-hmm. life backs it up and confirms it, you know? Totally. Every and like person. we can be expected as a child to have that critical filter. It's just not how our brain works oh, when we're yeah. young, right? Absolutely. So it's just like we're like swimming in the water and don't realize kind <gasps> of thing, like what's in it. You, you know? just nailed it. So we have a book coming out, More Than a Body, um, which we'll be posting about soon. Um, It'll be out at the end of the year. And in our book, as we talk about this revolution of body image resilience, we explain it by talking about the fact that every single one of us, when we're young, we enter the waters of objectification. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we're pushed in. We're pushed in by going to school and our little friends talking about their bodies, talking about how fat they feel or how skinny somebody's legs are. We are pushed into the water when our mom talks about her diet and how bad she feels about herself. Or when somebody shames us, we go to the doctor and they weigh us and say, you're really high in that BMI. We got to get her weight down. In a million ways, we are shoved into this water. But once you get in that water, you become acclimated to it. And it becomes your new way of being. It doesn't take your breath away anymore. It almost feels colder and more uncomfortable to get out. So you stay in and your new comfort zone in your body becomes this soaking wet, dangerous zone where sharks are circling you, these self-objectification and shame sharks, you know, Mm -hmm. and you are stuck in this place of just constantly treading water, fixing yourself, hiding yourself, trying to find the next oasis that will fix your body image in some way. And it never does. Mm -hmm. We're stuck there until we can get back home. Body image resilience is this opportunity to get back home to reclaim your body as your own, as an instrument, not an ornament, as we say every day. Mm -hmm. It's it's truly a game changer. And it is the only sustainable and achievable way that we can ever live our lives as more, as more than bodies, more than decorations, Mm -hmm. more than, you know, people filled with shame. Yeah. I was having an interesting conversation with my husband about this over the weekend because he's taking um, his MBA right now and it's in like marketing and entrepreneurship and And we talk about marketing. So we're on Instagram. I'm in like a digital marketing world. Mm -hmm. And like if people understood what was involved in marketing, like so this documentary just came out, The Social Dilemma on Mm -hmm. Netflix, right? Breaking down how much marketing plays to your pain points and your vulnerability to make a sale to make money, whether that's in advertising, whether that is in product, whether that is in whatever. Yeah. And it's shaping us to only see our flaws and like training us to fix them by buying product versus fact-checking an ad. Like now when he's our critical lens, when I see an ad and say, Mm -hmm. you're just trying to sell me your anti-aging cream. Like aging is a part of humanity. Like I'm going to get wrinkles. I don't know what to tell you. And I can like talk back to the ad because I can have that critical lens. And I think that's one of the the first steps in your your steps to resilience, right? Is that recognizing the messaging that's coming in. Absolutely. One thing that most people don't know, but industry leaders, uh, advertising executives, media makers, influencers, they all know this thing most of us don't know. And that's that 
in the U.S., um, I know this can probably be more broadly generalized um, to other Western cultures. Um, in the U.S., the average household, in the average household, women control up to 90% of the dollars spent. So women don't make the most money, but we are in charge of spending it, making those decisions. Mm-hmm. And so media makers and advertising executives and teams understand that if you can convince a little girl that princess ideals and and makeup kits and dress up kits and high heeled shoes for toddlers are the way to gain value and happiness and love, you've got her for life. You've got grandmas counting their carbs, weighing themselves every day, getting their hair done and not able to go out until they get their hair done and on and on and on. Mm-hmm. Because we are defined by and consumed by our bodies. And we are spending hundreds of billions of dollars per year in the pursuit of not sexiness, not like trying to be a perfect 10, but just trying to feel normal, just trying to assuage Mm -hmm. some of the shame that consumes us. And for new moms, we are, we're a relatively new marketing phenomenon. I'd say it's been the last maybe 20 years at this point that new moms have been targeted with these really dehumanizing, unreal ideals. Before that, moms weren't preyed upon like they are now. Mm. And now marketers know that they have this incredible opportunity to get a woman when she is her most vulnerable on Mm -hmm. the roller coaster you speak about of postpartum depression and anxiety that most women experience to some degree. Um, baby blues, if nothing else, Mm -hmm, somebody mm -hmm. whose body has been changed so drastically and who is trying to keep a new life alive. Mm -hmm. And if you can get her to feel like she needs to buy that corset being sold by her favorite celebrity or skinny wraps by her friends or the weight loss shakes by those same friends or any other number of, you know, flat tummy teas and things that come across her, her social media feeds because the internet knows that she just had a baby, you're spent for life. I had a collab reach out about a pregnancy scale for moms. I was like, that is a hard pass. Like that, I refused to actually, uh, well, this is like what happens when you have like three children. (laughs) You get to like a place of confidence with your providers, or at least I did in my experiences to say, I'm not being weighed this entire pregnancy. Like I, I refuse to come in happy and leave depressed because of a number that you tell me that needs to be written on a piece of paper. Totally. Why do you need this number? And what will you do with it? Because the harm that it's going to have in you communicating it to me is going to far outweigh the importance of you having it in your file. Like it's not Absolutely. helpful. And I did the exact same thing. And that's something that we truly do encourage anybody with the privilege to be able to do to do that, yeah. to refuse weighing, because it's not just for yourself. I explained to my provider, I have a 10 month old baby. And I explained to my midwife, it's not that I didn't want them to tell me the number. I didn't want to be weighed because I was also advocating on behalf of all the other women who need to, first of all, not be discriminated against if they're at a higher weight, because your internal indicators of health are going to tell you much more about where she's at, how she's doing, you know, her blood pressure, her blood sugar, the blood panel you have done, all of that will tell you so much more. But uh, it was advocating for them and for myself. Doctors discriminate against people at higher weights. They do. I've, I've had endless messages, I'm sure, that you have as well. And I know some therapists and psychologists who work in this area with moms who are trying to recover from disordered eating. And yeah. they go to their doctor and they're like, you're putting on too much weight. You need to start a diet. And like, they're pregnant and stuff. It's very triggering and very upsetting for a lot of moms. I see this struggle as kind of two, two or three different places. Like one, you've got like the, the pregnancy body shaming or like eat what you want, but then trying to control your weight. Like all of this mixed messaging about what we should be and how we should act when we're pregnant around our bodies. And then also everybody policing like what we need to do in our pregnancy, which is a whole other feminist rant I could go on. Um, And then you've got this postpartum period, which Mm -hmm. is very vulnerable. And there's such a loss of control to Mm -hmm. and a shift in identity. And when we're talking about perfectionists or when we're talking about loss of control. Often what we want to do is clamp down on something that we feel like we can control or improve. And that often becomes restrictive and food Mm -hmm. and exactly. So it's a very vulnerable stage. I think, you know, I get this question so often with new moms. How do I deal? How do I deal with the fact that I want to get back to the body I had before everybody's pretty much encouraging me and asking me to, including my healthcare providers. Right. Um, And 
I, I honestly say start with anger. Don't start at anger with yourself, with your body. Start with seething anger at the very corrupt, dehumanizing systems and institutions that profit from you having created this amazing miracle of life and then telling you that you're bad, that your body is gone, that you need to get your body back. This is so enraging and it's good to be mad. I think if you're mad, you're doing something right because you can see it. You can see that this is wrong. It is wrong. These are people and industries that profit off of your pain. And I think that when you start at anger, that can help kind of like burn this new rage within you that tells you it's not normal for you to feel this, this pain and this shame about your body to direct it at your body. You need to direct it outward. And as you feel that anger and you start to really shine a light on that pain um, and denormalize that pain, make it uncomfortable inside of you, take it outside of you, take it out. I mean, yeah, do whatever you can to take it out. You can take it out by not spending your money, by curating your social media feed so you never see anybody who posts that sort of content. Even the, I'm a new mom and I still have a little pooch, but I'm doing pretty good. You know, that stuff is so dehumanizing. It's terrible. Yeah. So yeah. get rid of it. Or like, Even yeah, look at my, look at my roll when I bend over that like is skin <laughs> or like whatever. That is- and then moms are just feeling really, it's like channel the anger you need to break up with your ex, like that kind of anger. Like this is the kind of anger we need to channel towards breaking up with these beauty ideals because it's so true what you're saying that we just created a freaking human being. It is nuts that women do that. Right. Like what? Like it still blows my mind. Like I was in labor saying to the nurse, like, oh my God, there is a baby coming out of my body right now. She's like, it's it's taking you to right now to know like that. Yeah, it is. Like you just said there's hair. Like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. I am still shocked. I had one C-section and then I had a V-back and I cannot believe we can do that. It is the biggest freaking miracle. I don't know why every single one of us aren't like shouting from the rooftops that we are incredible, you know? Yeah, (laughs) Uh, totally. And then we get home and we're scrolling social media or like our our clothes don't fit or there are these like things that trigger us that our body is different. And then we feel so inherently bad. Like something about us just feels so shameful. And we go from this high of like, like I am a warrior, hear me roar. I just created a freaking life to feeling like I don't want to be seen. By design. It has all been designed this way. It, you can blame it on sexism and patriarchy and capitalism and every other ism you want, but (laughs) this is by design. And the second you know it, you know that it's okay. You can feel some compassion for yourself, not yeah. compassion for these industries that prey on you, but compassion for yourself. It is the best place to start. I think one thing um, women can also do in this state of postpartum that is so difficult, it, you can do it one of two ways. Um, this time I wrote a letter to my baby about herself and her body. It's kind of inner child work. You can yeah. do this for yourself too. Yes. Um, so Maybe I can explain both really quickly. But the first is I want you to look down at that baby and everything you love about them, about their body, about who they are, everything you want them to be, everything you want them to know about your experience in your body, your experience as a child stepping into those waters of objectification. I want you to write it down. It's the most incredible therapeutic tool to get back in touch with your inner child. You can also do this by writing a letter to yourself. Um, Lindsay, my sister, did this in therapy, and she said that it was just absolutely transformative, and we talk about it quite a bit in the book. But when you can tap back into before you were conscious of your body, before the way you looked in your clothes that morning changed your mood, before- Like that preteen girl, right? Like back to that age when you first start to remember these messages and before you were really aware of them and you were just kind of that vulnerable girl you were one like you were just living in your body you were just experiencing it if you can think back to that time sometimes you can't but you can look at a picture of yourself and try to hone back in on that and then write a letter to that girl yeah tell her it's okay if you're hungrier than your mom thinks you should be it's okay if you snuck food because grandma told you you shouldn't eat that, but you really wanted to. You were hungry 
and that's okay. Yeah. Tell yourself it's okay that you got stretch marks. It's yeah. good. It means you're alive. It's okay that you found that first dimple on your thigh. You know, these things are okay. They make you, you, you know, yeah. that way you can tap back into that compassion for yourself. That is so necessary in a world mm-hmm. that is begging you to lead with shame and disgust for your body. I've found my journey with my boys to actually be some of the most incredible healing parts. Like I've been faced with a lot of this being on Instagram and, mm-hmm. you know, and being in the mental health world, but my, my oldest son, he, he's a, just a very like attuned little soul. Like he's just so kind and sweet and we were, oh my gosh, I'm going to get like teary about it. <sighs> it's good. I shared this on the podcast before. Okay, (laughs) I'm going to gather myself for a minute. It's just the purest moment. Kids have a way of being present in their bodies, like we're talking about back in those ages that are just so curious and so pure. (laughs) Okay, so we're, I'm tucking him in. These are my like favorite moments with him because he just like wants to stay up till midnight questioning uh-huh. the world kind of thing. Uh-huh. And I don't remember what baby, uh, like what point I was in my postpartum if I had two children at the time or three. And he's like playing with my stretch marks on my tummy. And he's asking me about them. And he's so curious and he's so interested how he how they got there. Yeah. And then he starts naming them. Oh, this one's from me. Oh, this one's from Gabe. This one's from, oh my goodness, like look at all of these marks that are here because we were in your tummy. And he starts like naming them. Oh, my heart. And he's so proud. He's incredibly proud that there is evidence on my body that like he came from there, he lived in there. Right. And I've never looked at a stretch mark the same way mm. ever since. Oh, then. that's so beautiful. Oh, right. I love that. I think uh, one thing we talk about in terms of body image resilience is that our new mothering bodies are a site of resistance. Yes. They're a site of resistance for us, for our babies, for the world. If you can reclaim your body as your own, the only body you've ever had, your home that has been with you from when you were that little girl has grown with you till right now. What a miracle, what your body has done for you. It has every scar, you know, every stretch mark, every pore on your face. It is a sign of your life. It's a testament to you, to Mm -hmm. your life. Yeah. It is so amazing to think that you can reclaim yourself as a site of resistance in a world that begs you to believe you're defined by this and only as it appears a certain way that will never be good enough. That bar is continuously out of reach. How yeah. amazing that you could teach your little boy and he could teach you that your oh, body he, is like, that He site. taught me. He shattered oh. the, like he shattered the sort of filter in that moment, right? I'm like, because who do we really care about? At the end of the day, when we want to show up in the world for people, who are we really showing up for and why? Do I care about what the the audience or like the masses or these people or whatever, who Mm -hmm. really their opinion of me is more of a reflection of themselves and how they feel about themselves and it is actually about me? Or do I care that my son has proof and knows and loves the fact that he can identify where he came from? Oh, and that like, it just shattered all, like it really like caused me to step back. And I realized in that moment, all of the things that had been internalized, like, like mothering has a way of causing you to reflect on your traumas and the ways that you were brought up. Right. And so it's interesting because I'll find myself saying things like, oh, I can't go out until I have my makeup on or like things that I used to hear my mom say a lot, like I can't turn up in this way or can't show up in this way, or I can't wear shorts or I can't do this or can't do that. And in being aware of those things, but then having this very sort of, you know, mindful and sweet sort of perspective that's just very kind and gentle. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. It just, all of those things in this reparenting journey have been so healing for me. Yeah. I agree. I think 
Another thing our kids can do is bring up shame that we didn't know we had, you know, and can help alleviate it. My four-year-old daughter, Logan, I was going to the bathroom the other day and she said, your bummy is so wiggly. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, it is. It's so wiggly. It's so awesome. Isn't it so great that we have bummies and leggies and we we talked about all the parts, you know, mm-hmm. I do everything in my power to make sure that she sees body diversity in her life. And that means that I do not hide my body in any way, shape or form from her. And I don't want other people close to her to either. I want her, you know, to grow up seeing that people in all different bodies are deserving of love and respect and happiness and success. Mm-hmm. And we all get it regardless of how we look. I grew up so my biggest fear was that I um, could never be loved, that a man would never Mm -hmm. love me because he, nobody could ever be attracted to me. And for many, many years, even into adulthood, like I was sure that was true. I was sure I would never be able to get married. I'd never be able to have love because I had so much cellulite because, you know, my boobs are different sizes, you know, like a million things, like so many of us, we don't have symmetrical boobs and butts and the works. I've gained weight. I've lost weight. I I was positive. I was never going to be loved. And guess what? I have a wonderful husband, like the best, happiest relationship in the world. He's so amazing. And we're almost eight years in, and I still am in awe of it all. And he doesn't love me because of my body. He loves me for so much more than my body. I have to remember like what privilege that is. I'm still in awe because I spent so long thinking I was undeserving of love, you know? Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. when you get older, you realize that love is so much deeper. It's like when people talk about loving your body, sometimes it's really shallow sounding. Like yeah. Loving your body is a pretty objectifying concept. If you're just talking about like loving your part, you don't love somebody else in that way. You don't love somebody else for how they look and embracing all of their flaws. You love them in such a deeper, more holistic way. When you see somebody, you don't just pinpoint their parts that you like and don't like. You see kind of a blur of them as a person, you know, mm-hmm. you don't see like the the weight loss and the acne, like how you do on yourself. Right. I think when we can think about love in a more holistic way, we realize that we are all deserving and capable of love. However we show up, you know, I didn't change my body to get love. I changed my mind. And in some ways he helped me change my mind too. I don't think it always takes a partner to do that, but it sure has helped me. But I think at the end of the day, like love needs to be so much more holistic. And you start to realize, you know, so many of us are afraid that our partners are going to stop loving us when our bodies change after babies. We can't have sex for six weeks after babies or while we're pregnant or whatever, all the things. And love is whole. Love Mm -hmm. brings us back to ourselves. Love keeps us from self-objectifying, you know? your partner's not going to stop loving you because your body changed. And if they do, that might not have been grounded in love at all. Right. might've been grounded in objectification in your body in some way that needs to be worked through in therapy. Yeah. I can like, I completely agree. Cause when you're looking for, like when you love somebody and you're truly connected to them and you talk about like this type of love that wants to grow old together kind of thing, the very process of that is changing, changing like from the time my husband and I got together 10 years ago to now, we are entirely different people yeah. inside and outside, arguably, but it's okay. And we appreciate that. And we're like on this journey together and we're going to be old and wrinkly one day and yeah. still our love will be like that much more yeah. than when we both look like, you know, oh. young and fresh or whatever. Yeah. Cause that's life. Like it, sometimes it just takes aging to realize that like you can't really get that as much when you're 18, you know, and you're thinking about being loved and valued. But when you think about how you love other people, it is deep, it is abiding, it's not conditional. And if we could turn that back on ourselves, when we think about how we love our babies, you know, going back to that, I'll tell you about this one um, experience I had, if you will. <laughs> yeah, please. Um, I was at the lake with my husband. And at the time, I just had my daughter, Logan. Um, and she was like a year old at the time. And I love the lake. And I love swimming. I love the water more than anything in the world. And I was having so much fun. And my husband had taken some photos of me playing with Logan in the water. And when we got back in the car to drive the long drive home, I looked at those photos on his camera And I was just immediately just got that, you know, gutted feeling of, I didn't know I looked like that. 
I don't like what I'm seeing. I, how, how can he like me looking like that? How did he take those pictures? You know, I felt so much shame. And this is as a body image expert, a million years into this work. And I deleted those photos. I just deleted them and thought maybe Trav will forget about them and we don't have to talk about it. And I, I got home and while he was in the shower and Logan was in bed, I laid on my bed just overcome with like sadness and some shame about the fact that I felt like that about my body, that shame about my body and the fact that I deleted the photos. Mm. And I kind of like talk, prayed, cried out loud, just like I could. He was in the shower and so it was my opportunity to talk out loud. And I said, I need some help here. I I need some comfort here. I I don't want to feel this way. And I had this like really incredible, pretty spiritual experience that felt like like a a mother who's very much like a female energy. And I had this vision of myself walking. I was wearing clothes. I looked exactly like I actually do. I was walking and I felt this like pride for myself. I thought like, I felt this very holistic love and pride for me and what I was doing, like who Mm -hmm. I was. I, the only way I can describe it is how I feel about my baby, but it was, it was deep. It was deeper than that. And it felt like divine, you know, it felt like it felt like something I had not experienced about myself until that moment. And I immediately wrote it down in my phone. I said, I I felt something I felt her capital her telling me that I'm more like made me feel how she feels about me or whatever it was. I I don't know. It was spiritual. And that spiritual power, I think it's something that came up in our dissertation research. We weren't even asking women who were resilient to tell us about spirituality in any way. And it came up a lot. So if you're somebody who identifies with a spiritual force, not a religion, not a God, though it can be, but a bigger force that tells you that you are part of a a network of energy of souls. I know this is probably not a direction you thought your podcast would go. (laughs) Well, it's a key fundamental in resilience research, whether it's related to body image or otherwise is a spiritual component. Totally. And it's so like, because it's the part that opens up our our brain to see beyond the physical. We're not just a body, like you're saying, like there's so much more to us than that. Yeah. Um, and I think the experience that you just described about the the walking around in our bodies, feeling happy and feeling strong, like I feel strong in my body. Then you have this experience where you get this picture and your body looks nothing or it's like from a really unflattering image or whatever mm-hmm. you want to say. Yeah. That makes like it's like this sinking moment of shame. It's almost like disgust. It's this combination of really uncomfortable feelings that then cause a lot of women to want to like do something in that moment about it fix Mm -hmm. it how do I fix it do like then we're purging them we're exercising them we're doing this we're doing that like we're driven into unhealthy habits by these glimpses and they can derail us from lots of different things our focus in that moment may have been on being present in the moment with your kid may have been on a project that you have. And here we are having to carve out for the next week or two hours of exercise every day. Like, yep. so it's so important to recognize these moments and to like, how, so how do we, how do we come back? Yeah. How do we come back from that? Like, that's a really common scenario, I think. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We actually wrote a whole blog post about this years ago because a, a very, very common body image disruption is that is seeing yourself tagged in a photo or seeing a photo of yourself you don't like. Yes, and all yes. of a sudden the shame sets in that your brain on body shame tells you you're disgusting. Your brain on body shame it's tells disgust. you that's it the feeling. Is. It is absolute disgust. And so your coping mechanisms will not serve you in that moment. The things your brain is telling you to do in that fight or flight response is fix it, fix it in any way possible until you can fix it, hide. Nobody deserves to see you like this. So yes, we've all felt that. I, I just described my own feeling of feeling that that is a disruption. You have the opportunity to use this as an enabling disruption, a catalyst for change, for growth. You truly can. If you sit in that moment and first you recognize, you sit with that shame that's pounding in your chest. You sit with it and you say, what am I actually feeling? What is this and where is it coming from? You can dig deeper. You can use your spiritual power. You can do what I did and ask ask the universe for help. Do, what, do a meditation. Get into a flow state in another way that brings you back home to your body. One thing you can do as you're recentering yourself and getting back into your body is literally coming back in through 
tapping into your five senses. Look down at yourself, like thank yourself and your body. Like look at those scars, look at the look at the moles, look at the hairs. They are all evidence of your life. They're all a testament to your life. They've been with you. Do whatever you can to come back in to smell the smells, to be grateful for what you can see. Like take anything you can to come back in. Feel your heartbeat, you know, practice some gratitude right there in that moment. You can also, I think it is an absolute paradigm shift to memorize our mantra and live it. Your body is an instrument, not an ornament. So yes, in that moment, that snapshot, Maybe you don't like what you saw for a million reasons, and that's okay that you didn't like what you saw. But when you can come back into yourself and reclaim your life as your own, you can recognize that you are not a snapshot. You are no moment in time. You are dynamic. You are moving. You are more. Look into what brings you drive and purpose. What makes your heart pound? Like, what is that thing? And sometimes that thing comes from your pain. I don't do this without body shame. Like body shame propelled me. And for anybody out there, what is it that drives you? For you, I'm sure that you're doing the work you do because of pain. You yeah. don't do this intensive work without being driven by something. And and anytime I ask guests who come on the podcast, like what is your motivation in, in this work? Like what led you down this path? And it's been their own pain point or their own suffering that they've either worked through or gained insight through that yeah. has led them on this path. And for me, it's been my own experience with postpartum depression and anxiety. Yep. That was like, this is just unjust that moms are going through this and it's not, you know, they don't have the support that they need. When yeah. there's sort of two triggers, like, so there's the feeling good in your body and then seeing a picture that causes you down the spiral. But then there's also like seeing a picture of how your body used to look. Yep. And Mm -hmm. this happens, I feel like a lot with our like pre-baby body when we're in postpartum or even when we're pregnant and our body is growing. And then we see this like, you know, non-pregnant version of ourselves. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so is it, I would say it's sort of the same, like the shifting into gratitude, appreciating our body for like its function and what it does for us. And also think critically about how you actually felt in your body when you first saw that photo or when you took that photo. Exactly. It will confirm to you that body image, your relationship with your body happens in here and has nothing to do with how you actually look on the outside. Like 99% of the time, that photo that you are now wishing you looked like when you took that photo, you didn't like what you saw. 100%. You picked it apart and felt totally. totally crummy about that angle or that whatever. And honestly, even if you did, if you did like what you saw in that photo, if you felt really good about yourself at that moment, bring yourself back home to where you were at. Like, where were you at with your relationship with food, with your relationships with other people? Where right. were you at in terms of the things you were experiencing? Because if you felt really good about yourself, there is a chance that you felt that way because you were still self-objectifying. You were still gaining your value from monitoring yourself from the outside, from heavy restriction of food, from putting your all into working out, into a strict regimen that keeps you from actually connecting and bonding with people, from feeling purpose outside of your body. That's not always the case. I I don't mean to say that people who like their bodies are self-objectifying or that they are finding all of their value in their bodies. Absolutely not. But if you, in this specific circumstance, if you're thinking about a past photo and feeling a lot of shame about how you look now because you're comparing yourself to the past, there is a really good chance that you could think critically about your place in time at that point and realize that it probably wasn't all sunshine and roses, you know? Well, I find that even with people who are in the fitness industry and my brother is like a bodybuilder and um, like the cycling through, like even when they are the most depleted and all their veins are showing, they still feel like it's not good enough. Totally. Right? Totally. And they have like... And there's been a sacrifice of how many hours at the gym, of how many social gatherings with food with friends because of the way they have to eat. And like, what what are you choosing to give up? And I talked about this in a perfectionist episode that will air before this one about how like in perfectionism and in moments when we are losing control, like we want to clamp down on our eating or, or like our fitness or whatever. And I had this moment where I got on the phone with a trainer and I pretty much like the regimen was like, I pretty much had to sell my soul to like, to be in the body type for myself that I wanted to be. And I sat there and really weighed that against my values and was like, am I willing? Am I willing to sell my soul? Am I willing to sell 10 hours a week 
to change my body to then go off the regimen and have my body return to exactly the way that it is right now because I'm not willing to do that for the rest of my life, right? Like, so to me, values to play such an important role. And when we hone in on them, like I'm on this space because I want to help moms and because I want to like the same with you. Like, I feel like I have a message. It's so important to serve women in this way. And am I going to take 10 hours away from that? And from like this brand that I'm growing in the business that I'm growing to to, like, you know, it just doesn't like that doesn't compete with my values. It does not make sense to me to uh, like sell some, and it would cost like a mortgage payment totally. <laughs> like the rest of it like it just on so many levels of my values didn't align and didn't make oh, sense I love that I, I think it's super profound because the question we need to be asking like it's inevitable that we are all going to have thoughts maybe every day what would happen if I lost some weight maybe I should try to lose some weight maybe I should get on this diet maybe I need to build muscle so my butt's bigger or, you know whatever the thing is maybe I need right. to get my boobs done I need Botox there's a million things literally every inch of us has been co-op by industries that are selling us solutions to our supposed flaws. They've also created the flaws. Um, But why not instead ask yourself, what do you really want? Every day, I, you know, there's a treadmill next to me in this, in this guest bedroom. I love this treadmill. It has saved me through COVID. I love getting into a flow state on that treadmill. It helped my mental health so much. I hike on a really steep incline um, on the treadmill. And I picture myself hiking outside. I picture myself hiking with my 6'3 husband who doesn't have to work out for a year and can run up the mountain, you know? (laughs) And it used to make me so self-conscious, like even at my smallest to think, oh my gosh, I can't keep up with him. It would make me so anxious, you know? And now I can do it. I can keep up. And my body hasn't changed one bit. So yes, there are fleeting thoughts almost every day. Like maybe you shouldn't eat that. Maybe I need to restrict in this way. What would happen if I lost weight? Would my clothes fit better? Blah, blah, blah. Of course, it always comes up. I don't think that it is possible to totally... alleviate those types of uh, no and intrusive and 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 thoughts enter our brain without our control and I just did a whole series on this about intrusive thoughts we cannot control the thoughts that enter our brain what we can control is how we react and respond and deal with these thoughts right and so that's like having this like I love this resilience like recognizing the thought redefining the thought in order to become resilient, right? Like checking that thought and saying, okay, yes, I could sign up for this program. Is that in alignment with my values? Am I willing to sell my soul for that? Is it going to really gain me anything at the end of the day? Like what do I stand to gain from that? And just like having this sort of more critical lens through which we view these thoughts that come up rather than just believing them. Rather than just, yeah. What do you want? Like when those thoughts come up for me, what do I really want? And what I wanted was to be able to hike with my husband without getting anxious about it. And I can do that now. Like, what do you want? Do you, do you feel like you need more control in your life in some way? You're not going to get that through your body because you can gain and lose weight every day without trying a dang thing. You have no control over your health in so many ways. It's bigger than you. Your health is systemic in many ways. Many of us don't have the privilege to even afford the healthy food that we're told we have to be eating. Like there are a million circumstances outside our control, but what can you control that doesn't have to do with how you appear to the world as an ornament? Like, Like, is it acceptance that that you want? Is it acceptance? Is it to be loved? Usually, Is it to be, uh, is it like connection with others, which I feel like plays into acceptance? Absolutely. Like so many times, especially for new moms and for like women in long-term relationships, it's that fear that you're not going to be loved anymore. So instead of thinking about losing weight, which actually isn't going to help your connection with your spouse in any way, you got to work on that body image stuff on the inside, you need to reclaim your body as your own so that you can have sex and enjoy it and want to have sex, like want to be intimate and look forward to it. Not because you're floating outside your body thinking about how you must appear to your partner, but because you're in it bonding with your partner. Like there are so many ways where when we reclaim our body as our own, as our home, our relationships improve tremendously. You go Mm -hmm. from snapping at your kids because you just tried on an outfit you don't like, and you don't even realize that that's why you're now pissed. Yes. Realizing, oh, okay, I get that I'm feeling some body shame, but oh, I love this baby. Like I'm present in this moment with this baby. So much changes in our lives when we can reclaim ourselves as more. I love that. 
I love that. And I think that that really is the nail on the head. Like, what is it that you're trying to gain through changing your body? Or, you know, like, what is it that you think it will bring you? What is the function of that behavior? What do you think it will give you or bring you? Like, go after that goal directly. Yes. Because the only thing we're ever sold for women is that as we focus intensely on fixing our parts, that's when we will earn love, happiness, success, whatever. But that's not actually true. Like, look at your life. I can look at my own life. I can acknowledge so much privilege in my life, but I sit here like the fattest I've ever been and the happiest I've ever been. Like, I'm not joking. I have the best relationship with my husband and my babies. I acknowledge so much privilege in this world. I don't have to change a thing about my body and I still get all those things. And it didn't ever have to do with my body, you know? My body didn't earn me this nonprofit and this platform in any way. Like my privilege did, my whiteness did, my ability to get a fellowship to go to school for free for 10 years did, you know? There's other privilege, but my appearance didn't earn me love. We need to acknowledge our privilege in all of these ways, but we also need to acknowledge when our bodies aren't actually the catalyst for the things we have in our lives, even though every message tells us they are. Totally. I totally agree. And I can second that, like the statement of like, this is probably the heaviest I've ever been in my life and the happiest I've ever been and the freest I've ever been. And like the Mm -hmm. most bold and like courageous I've ever been to show up and be like, I really don't give a shit what you think. Like, you know what I mean? And it took a lot of healing to get there. Mm -hmm. And it's still conscious. Like you said, daily, we're facing either these triggering thoughts or like intrusive thoughts that are coming up in our own brain or are triggered by like the what, 6,000 to 10,000 ads that North Americans see in a day. Mm -hmm. So it's not ever like we have arrived there completely. Yeah. But we've got the system to fact check the crap that's coming in now, right? Totally. And I just, I think about the fact that, you know, like I have to show up for speaking events and with our book coming out, we're doing like a press tour and talking about bodies. And that's really stressful in my body as it stands. And yet if I held off, if I was like, well, let's, let's push it. Like, let's push this big speaking event for a couple months while I work on my body. You know, what would, this sounds so um, braggy, but like, what would the world miss out on if I pushed it all back, if I didn't show up? And I think about the fact that what is the world missing out on? Because so many of us aren't showing up and I want everybody else to show up. So I have to do it now as I am my body as a site of resistance, my yeah. body as more, you know, I am more than this. And the more you can just show up as you are in this world, it it sounds so trite. You've heard it a million times, but you give people permission to show up too, to show up as more, you know? Yeah. It's so important. And I've had the same experience when it comes to like the book tour or like all these speaking engagements that are potentially getting back in the works now that COVID is over and I've been stuck inside COVID. I also have a walking treadmill that I walk at at my desk while I work more just for like flow and stuff. It's really nice to just be able to walk when I'm working. I sit a lot for work, but um, having these same thoughts of like, well, what, like, what are they going to think of me when I show up, whatever, mm-hmm. but I've gotten into the habit of like, it's really their own, like they see yeah. me through their own hurt and their own perspective. And like, I'm here, if you're here because you are like looking to objectify my body or for the value that my body brings, you're in the wrong place. This is not like a porno shoot. This is not like you can't, you're not, I'm not here to be objectified, right? I'm here to bring value in a different way. And like, I can acknowledge and accept that now. And it's a really, it's a healing journey. It's hard. And it's like always going to have its moments, especially this transition into motherhood is one of those really like this matrescence and this adjustment into motherhood is an identity shift in so many ways that challenges us to like our absolute core. So this is prime sort of struggle time, but to do this work, And to evaluate these things is so important and so freeing and confidence boosting and yeah, allows you to reclaim those parts of your life and your dreams and your hopes and your, yeah. And now you don't just get to do it for you, but you get to do it for your babies, you know? Yeah. Like they're going to grow up in a world where we're paving the way. And though I'm steeped in, you know, research on objectification and the pain of so many women, I'm probably more hopeful than anybody that we are truly making progress and getting to a point where on an individual level, we can reclaim 
our body as our home where we can show up as more. I truly believe it. And this next generation, oh my gosh, they are going to do amazing things and we are going to help them get there. And we don't get there by self-consciously being stuck in these bodies as our prisons that we, we decorate and we, you know, show our highlight reels and we hide and fix. Yeah. We only get there when we look outside of ourselves and we show up anyway. So good. Oh my gosh. If I didn't love you before, I'm like obsessed with you now. Like <laughs> That's so nice. Thank you. First one to have me crying on the podcast. That deserves some kind of. <laughs> oh, no, that was so beautiful. Oh. Oh, so where, where can we find you? I know you guys have a course. You've got a book coming out this fall. You guys are doing some really incredible things. Where, where can we find you online? Yeah. So our website is beautyredefined.org. Um, we're an official 501c3 nonprofit. Our speaking events are listed online too, although they've all moved virtual for the time being. Oh, I know. It's oh my so gosh. hard. And our book comes out December 29th. It's up for pre-order now. It's on Amazon. It'll be on our website soon. It's called More Than a Body um, by Lexi and Lindsay Kite. And we have an online course available through our website too. We also um, have therapists that we team up with who run our course for their clients, usually in a group setting. So if you're interested in that, um, it's an official facilitator program for our course that's on our website too. Very cool. We do have lots of therapists and providers who tune into the podcast as well. So that's, that's really cool. I know we're always looking for more resources um, in this area. So thank you so much for the work that you do and the bravery that it takes. And we just appreciate you coming and serving our audience today. I will link all of your information in the show notes so that people know where to find you and click through to all your stuff. And uh, yeah, definitely going to bring you on back maybe when the book comes out or something to talk about that. So thanks for taking the time. Thank you. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job.